We've talked about the teaching of contempt as one of the deadliest teachings in all humanity. Another deadly teaching, one of the biggest lies ever that you will hear in church is that you are broken, that you are not worthy, that you need fixed, that you need saved. That false, deadly narrative has led to so much harm. And part of that is the attempt to make self-love a bad thing, even to go so far as to claim that the focus on self-love is a cult. But in the words of BTS, you can't stop me from loving myself. Would it be okay if I were to tell you that I am afraid someday? So I call you up and you call me down. Would it be okay? Well, hello and welcome to the Freed Hearts Podcast. We're so glad, as we always are, glad, really, really full of joy and happy thoughts that you are here with us today. Really, <laughs> thank you very much for giving us this time. My name is Robert Cottrell, and I'm here as always with... Susan Cottrell. And we have said, you know what we got to say? We recently learned <laughs> that, um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm stunned by this. We recently learned that the Freed Hearts Podcast is in the top 5% of all podcasts when it's measured by by the number of listens, the number of of, of downloads. And that's just that's just amazing. We're the top five percent of that. Amazing. And we have said before it's over a hundred thousand or more downloads now and you know seven or eight thousand cities and over a hundred and thirty or forty countries now and it's just growing and but we want you to know that really, as we sit down here to do this every single time, it it just feels like it's the three of us, <laughs> you yes, know, and it's true. And we really hope that's our goal is to, as we work through, as we come together in this deconstruction zone, as we, as we help, you know, you deal with, help us all deal with these, as it's an ongoing process to deconstruct those false damaging beliefs that steal so much of our joy and our, our, our freedom and our hope and our happiness. We hope it always feels like that. Mm -hmm. Just, just, just us talking, you know? Yes. So again, welcome. Please do share and subscribe. If you haven't already connect with us, we're going to do the next two weeks on self-love and what, <laughs> what? self-love. Isn't that some sort of cult? Well, we're going to talk about that. It's so important. Loving yourself is so important, so critical, so powerful. And for some reason, it's maligned, which I, that just, that seems bass backwards to me. It makes no <laughs> sense whatsoever. We've talked about the teaching of contempt as one of the deadliest teachings in all humanity. Well, another deadly teaching, actually one of the biggest lies that you're going to hear in church is that you are somehow broken that you're not worthy, that you need fixed, that you need saved. That false, deadly narrative has led to so much harm, so much harm. And part of that is the attempt, the narrative to make self-love somehow a bad thing, even so far as to claim that it's some sort of movement and that that self-love movement is a cult. But... In the words of our beloved BTS, you, you can't, can't stop, stop me loving myself. Yeah, we're going on tour <laughs> next week. We're going to tour all the good bars and churches. <laughs> bars and churches. That's that's a great podcast right there. Bars and churches. Anyway. That's it. So to transition. <laughs> um, yeah, you. we brought this up because a mom wrote me recently 
And she said, I have a Christian friend who is very disapproving of LGBTQ people. And she posted this as a passive aggressive jab because my daughter is trans and we affirm her. She said her pastor calls coming out part of the false gospel of self-love and that LGBTQ people are worshiping themselves. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? She said, I thought of Freed Hearts and knew you would have something insightful to say that would make sense. Yep. <laughs> I feel that while selfishness and narcissism are certainly problem, a problem in our society, Jesus told us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. What do I say to that friend I feel very judged by and other Christian friends for affirming our daughter? Maybe this would be a great topic for a Freed Hearts podcast because it affects so many LGBTQ people and their families. Well, look what happened. It yeah. is now it a is topic now for a free topic. heart. Not just yes. one, but two sessions. Yes, two because this sessions. is really big stuff. You it really is, tapped yeah. into something. And we want to talk about why it's that big and why it's important. We're going to get yeah. to that too. I mean, so. it's unbelievable, and, and yet it's believable, mm -hmm. that self-love has been vilified, called a separate gospel. Really? By those who were told that their primary job is to love. That's the primary job. Isn't that ironic? That this is the root rot at the foundation of Western non-affirming Christianity. Mm. It really is. So why is self-love taught as a false teaching by people whose only real job is to love? Why? So to start, we're going to take a look at what's on the table here. What is self-love? And what's at stake with self-love? Love means to accept someone as they are with room for who they may become. Caveat, this does not mean you take anything anyone dishes out or that if you draw boundaries or distance yourselves from someone that you're not loving. No, not true. <laughs> you accept them as that person and then you make your decisions about what you do. Okay, but that caveat in mind though, love means to accept someone as they are with room for who they may become. And self-love is to accept yourself as you are with room for who you may become. To accept yourself as you are means to embrace the rough and messy work in progress that you are, that we all are. That's what it means, that you're fine with yourself. Are you growing? Sure you are, of course. But are you withholding your own love, your approval of yourself until you accomplish a certain level of perfection? I hope not. So my art therapist friend, sent me some great insight about what self-love looks like. She said, self-love is an individual's acceptance of all their attributes, positive and negative. That includes body acceptance, self-protection from negative criticism, and believing in one's capabilities. Mm. Yep, so that's, that's what we're talking about here with self-love. With self to accept yourself as you are, including your body, your abilities, everything about you. I don't I don't think that's too much to ask of yourself, is it? I mean, do you accept your friends as they are? Sure, or your partner, of course. And you want others to accept you as you are. So why is it a cult teaching to accept yourself, to love yourself? How could that be false teaching? It's not. That's right. That's right. So here's more from my art therapy friend. What does self-love do for you? She answered that question. Studies show that self-acceptance Self-love has a profound positive impact on our physical and psychological health. 
Self-compassionate people are also much less likely to be anxious, depressed, and stressed than those who are self-critical. Self-compassion or self-love is one of the most powerful sources of strength and resilience possible. Did you hear that? That's what's at stake. That's what being is being whisked away from you like your baby in the hospital by pastors or priests or parents or anyone who says that self-love is selfish. Your most powerful source of strength and resilience was just taken from you. Wow. Now, by contrast, loneliness, which stands in stark contrast to self-love, is as damaging, physically damaging, as a heavy smoking addiction. So now this shaming for self-love has not only stripped you of powerful self-resilience, it's causing harm and disease, real harm and real disease, mental and physical. And our churches and religious leaders and parents and our culture are doing this when they shame us for self-love. That's right. That's why if I ask you, do you love your partner? You'll say yes. If I ask you, do you love yourself? You'll say no. Exactly. You deserve to know why you're being shamed for self-love. Why people you trust, especially your religious community, are blocking your access to this biggest resource of strength and resilience. So you can see it clearly and choose for yourself. This is something worth knowing, given that your health and your well-being are at stake. Let's look at what self-love looks like in the real world. How do the realities of self-love and not self-love show up? Well, what does it look like when we love others? Think of someone you find easy to love who loves you with minimal drama. How are you with them? You're supportive, encouraging, pleasant. You look forward to being with them and you enjoy their company. You don't have to fill in the space between you with noise. You can just be at peace. And many other positives come with loving someone. Endorphins go up. Heart rate goes down. You enjoy them. Mm. Okay, how about someone you don't love? Or let's just say someone you don't like. You don't enjoy them. You don't feel comfortable. You feel unpleasant, maybe resentful, and no joy. Your heart rate may go up. That's what it looks like. Now, look at you. When you are told self-love is wrong, That's how you engage with yourself. No joy, a little resentful, Mm. uncomfortable. You don't want to be in silence with yourself. All those things. Wow. Right? Let that in. Now, when you do love you, you enjoy your own company. You're at one with yourself. You have peace. You don't need to fill up your headspace with noise. And this is not instant, by the way. This is a journey to fall more deeply into peace and love with ourselves. But that's the direction you want to be headed, not the direction to avoid. Do you see what I mean? And do you see the impact if you're encouraged to love yourself or not to love yourself? It's everything. All right. Yeah, absolutely. So why in the world, why the pushback from religious leaders? Okay. It's the perfect question. Let me just put a pin in that for one moment here, because I want to say before we go further to tell you what I don't mean by self-love because self-love has gotten such a bad rap as being arrogant and selfish and pushy and all the things that are the opposite of self-love. I don't mean that. I don't mean someone who comes in and acts like they own the place. (laughs) The only way I'm good with somebody who acts like they own the place is if they also treat you like you own the place. Mm. If they're really at peace in the world, if they're confident 
really, and they really think that they're amazing, then they will also think that you're amazing. Excellent. That's true self-love because it naturally overflows into true other love. We are amazing, aren't we? After all, we're created in God's very image. But that's not usually what we see and not really what people are objecting to about self-love. What we often see is self-aggrandizing, posturing, posing. They think they own the place, but that you're a hired hand. That is not self-love. That's what the difference is. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And Shakespeare said that if you're true to yourself, you cannot help being true to others. Yes. And the same is true here. If you truly love yourself, you can't help loving others. Yeah, there's a verse in the New Testament in, I think, First John that says that if you love God but don't love others, you don't really love God. Right, exactly. Well, let me reword that just a bit. Same, if you say you love yourself but you don't love others, then it's not self-love you're talking about. Exactly. Here. You know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. And the more... I became freed from the church and all the strictures designed to hold everything in place and everyone in place. And instead, I profoundly plunged into the depths of self-worth and self-love. And I do love myself profoundly. I became much more loving of others. I really did. And when I was in the conservative church, I had no idea how much I was judging others. I really didn't, using my own yardstick on them. And when you judge yourself, you automatically judge others. I wouldn't go back to self-doubt and judgment and holding myself to a yardstick for anything because it was all false. It wasn't true love. It was sickly and pale. I was much less loving to myself and to everyone around me. Yeah? Is that, are you resonating with this? People who are haughty and arrogant and treat others around them like underlings are not loving. They're not loving themselves or others. So I'm going to get back to your question, Rob, but let's, I want to say here that emotional resilience is really, really paramount to who we are. You know, remember that commercial where the trash pickup guy backs into the big plastic trash can and the other guy says, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, it's, you're going to get crushed, but that trash can bounce, bounce back into place. That's resilience. <laughs> That's very handy in a topsy-turvy world. That's emotional resilience because people will back into you and say, perfect. And it's good when you can bounce back and not take it in. It's vital and it's filled with life force. So this trans woman wrote me to say that she's engaged. Well, her mother, with whom she's been up and down, you know, since she came out as trans, started railing on her about her engagement. And she had an emotional meltdown. And and in the email, this friend of mine said, this is a time of great joy and my mother is acting like a five-year-old, but that's on her, not me. I am joyful anyway. And I wrote back and said, first, congratulations on your engagement. But second, good for you for your resilience. To see that your mother is acting like a five-year-old, has it has nothing to do with you. Her meltdown is just her being her. And you don't need to take it on. Good for you for maintaining your joy. You know, her mother's been acting like a small boat on a stormy sea. She embraces her child's identity one minute and belittles it trashes it the next. But resilience allows the boat 
to remain upright and not get tossed and turned with every storm that her mother throws at her. Can't we all use some of that? Mm. Self-love. Self-love is the source for that. Yep. Then we no longer get capsized by every passing thought of other people. Good grief, that's unstable. Gosh. And, you know, of course, this is a journey for people like her, this friend. She didn't just get there. She went up and down on that boat with her mom for a long time before she was able to say, I'm done. You go ahead, mom, but I'm tired of being seasick. Yeah, that's that's an amazing place to get. I mean, yes. you, you said to her, you enjoy the hell out of this new adventure with your wife. Yeah. But she had to overcome all the resistance that was built into her against self-love. Yes. yes. And I was in an art therapy group with this art therapist I told you about. It was part of my healing journey after cancer. And I love it. One of the pieces was about self-love and self-image. And the prompt was to create a collage that represents you. And this then lists words that describe you. And I did. <laughs> you want to hear the words I wrote? Absolutely. I said vivacious, good-natured, kind, resourceful, generous, peaceful, loving, grateful, good-hearted, creative, smart, strong, happy. That's you. <laughs> it is. Thank you. These are things that I know to be true about myself. It's I do. And I shared those things when it was my turn to talk about it in the group. And someone said, I'm amazed that you had those words at your fingertips, that you could just access them for yourself. Wow. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people didn't have those kinds of words on their collage. But that's the place I live from most of the time now. Not that I'm also not hard on myself and yeah. hold myself to a high ridiculous standard and all that. I, you know, I still have that going on. Yeah. Now understand, I want to say this has been years of decolonizing yourself. Yes. Of deconstructing false beliefs so that you now do have those words at your That's fingertips. Right. And you do. Yes. You live from that place. Yes. And, and I recommend any of you after this take, just make a list of your best traits. Just make a list of them and see, see what you can find. Cause there are a lot of them. But now, here's another, maybe even better question here that of why don't people have these words at their fingertips? Not, you know, not that you need to tell everybody else your great qualities. I don't say, hi, I'm Susan. I'm strong, vivacious, generous, good natured. You know, these qualities will shine on their own. But why are these qualities a secret from ourselves? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Fundamentally, it comes down to damaging Christian theology. It does. Christianity in Western modern culture is a damaged brand. Mm -hmm. There's just no way around it. I mean, if you're an affirming, uh, inclusive, I'll say progressive, yeah. you know, uh, relationship-focused person who still follows Jesus, it's hard to even use that word Christian. Yes. Or if you use it, you have to you qualify know, I'm not that kind of Christian. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. But and you know, and when you're in it, it's really hard to see mm -hmm. when you're in it because it's you're so insulated by groupthink. But outside its own walls, it's a damaged brand. And that's because drumroll, that's because it's not about love. It thinks it is, it says it is, but it's not. Much of Western modern Christianity has convinced itself that it's about loving other people, but people outside looking in 
can see that it's primarily about rules and judgment. I'm really talking about the whole non-affirming element of Christianity because they're about rules, not love, by definition, because they're deciding whether they can affirm you or not. The affirming denominations seem to be the opposite about love and not rules. So why is the disconnect? Why would the purveyors of the church that's told to be about love actually be about rules and judgment? And it, you know, and that comes back to your question, mm-hmm. why the pushback from religious leaders? Instead of erasing lines that separate us, why do they draw lines to limit love? Why is that? Jesus does not draw lines to limit love, nor does God, nor does spirit. In fact, Jesus points to religious leaders as the least trustworthy to tell us who we are or to tell us our value. Wow. Let that let that sink in. I'm going to say it again. Mm-hmm. Jesus points to, and you can read this in Matthew 23, Jesus points to religious leaders as the least trustworthy to tell us who we are or to tell us our value. He says in in Matthew 23, points to religious leaders and says, you're not loving at all. So why are these religious leaders (laughs) hell-bent, pun, to limit love? What's in it for them? Oh, 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 I think I know. I think I know. I think I know. I think I know. I think it's a good time to talk about business. Yes. Let's talk about business. (laughs) Didn't need to scare the hell out of anybody. Well, if I scared the hell out of you, great. Didn't need to scare you. So, yes, that's exactly right. We have to remember that religion is a business, a business. People make their living at it. So they have a financial stake in whether there are butts in the seats (laughs) and money in the plate. In the business of church institutions, pastors have an inherent desire to protect their earnings, nay, a need. To protect their earnings. I'm not saying pastors aren't sincere. Certainly many of them are, but it's a business. And for that business to be successful, you need butts in the seats and money in the plate. And the smaller the church generally, unless it's underwritten, sponsored, the smaller the incomes. That's yeah. math. Now, I will say too here that there are that the fact that it's such that business is religion and religion is a business even impacts those who are affirming there's i'm i'm thinking right now specifically of a couple of pastors of large evangelical yep uh, churches mega churches who are personally affirming but they have said in private i just can't take i won't i'm sorry i just won't take my church there right now there's too much to risk. Exactly. And that's who you're going to yeah. for advice, for wisdom and on I get who that. you are. I get that. It's difficult. I personally think that if you can weather the storm, you'll have more butts in the seat and money in the plate if that's what you're going for. If you just take a stand, be loving and inclusive, folks are going to flock to that because that's what right. our hearts long for. Yeah. So. And it's no wonder that people that wait till the, the wind changes and then they become affirming yeah. are like, I want no part of you. Are you kidding yeah. me? You coward. Yeah. Well, you said the smaller church is generally the smaller income. The larger the church, generally the more income, right? Yeah. Yeah. And look, at, I mean, look at the mega churches. A, a way to really scale your church into a mega church is to commodify 
the people into it. Mm. Make them into commodities like pork bellies, right? Think institutional structure, not individual care. I'm not saying there isn't individual care, but I'm sure sometimes there is. But it's sort of as an add-on to the primary structure of the institution, which requires butts in the seats and money in the plate. I I think I want to, if you're out there and you're thinking, ooh, that sounds harsh. I get it. I get it. But I think that's a response to kind of what you've been taught and what the narrative is on the other side. Because why we, why we, um, because we should think, oh, that's really harsh that they're not, that they're going against people loving themselves. Right. That's not response. But our response to the And deciding who's in and who's out and rejecting people. All of that is incredibly harsh. I get it. But I think it's time to just call, call it for what it is. Yeah. Here. So that's, that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah, that's right. You know, and so an effective way to commodify your people is to make them increasingly dependent on the system. The more dependent they are, the harder it is for them to leave. Mm. It's the same paradigm as cults and as controlling parents. I mean, think about it. Think about it. People spend 20, 30, 50 years in in church hearing the same stories over and over again. And also hearing the same and seeing the same hurt and well, he left because of this dispute and, and we lost half the church because of this dispute because right. we, we, you know, and all that kind of thing. And, and much, right. much of today's modern American church paradigm, the evangelical church paradigm, keeps people over-dependent. Yes. Richard Rohr said that this arm of the church grooms people to be perpetual adolescents. This makes them the most likely to do what you tell them. It makes them good worker bees. Yes. And today's modern Western church institution keeps people dependent on the institution yeah. in so many ways, starting with how you feel your heart, how you feel about yourself. Yes. And what an effective way to discourage rebellion, to maintain power, and to keep the cash coming in. Yeah. I mean, just think about that. Do you ever mature out of the system? <laughs> no, there. No. Oh, and they have an answer for that. We never arrive. There's yeah. always more to learn. Yeah, well, of well. course that's true, but not in the same structure every week after week after week after week. It's interesting, this one of the first things, sorry, if I, I don't want to be triggering here, but when in um, human trafficking, one of the first things that happens yeah. with people that are brought in as they're put into a cage naked to just wreck their sense of selves, to show yeah. them how dependent they are on their captors. Well, and, and even and then yeah. you know, and even on a on a in a different scenario when a when in the sex trafficking you're you're taught right away that I am I will provide for you I will right, tell exactly. you what you're worth I will everything is in me right well, that's basically uh, that's not basically this is what the church is saying everything is here with us right here and it, and and the point about the cage thing is it it, it starts with a breakdown. You're a, you're a sinner. All the things we heard in the last episode, you know, you're making wrong choices, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's, it's rarely the pastor saying, you know what? I've been wrong. We have excluded people that God loves. Yeah. And I've been, anyway, yeah. so. Well, and if these people, these commodities come yeah. to feel great about themselves, to know how loved and beloved they are, then they realize they don't need to hear the same stories or put up with the same condemning, shaming messages. Yeah. That they get to go on their 
own adventure. And you know what? Exactly. They may not come back or come back every Sunday. Right. How many times do you need to hear about Jonah and the Great Fish anyway? How many ways can you tell it? Yeah. So, and if you tell people the truth, that they and others are worthy of love as they are. Which the Bible clearly tells us and teaches us. Yes. Then those people may decide, you know, today would be a great day for a picnic on the at the lake instead of a church pew. <laughs> I think our note said church spew. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's pretty that. good. And maybe, you know what, let's throw open the doors to everyone to be yeah. welcome to come. Yeah. To say, know, yeah, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I and to say, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, I'm I'm all good. I yeah. I am good. I don't think I need to go back to church every Sunday. I'm good. Yeah. Or they might really focus on something like feeding the poor, helping the sick, visiting the imprisoned, you know, yeah. all the things Jesus said to do. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're you're a better let's I'm gonna wrap this up here a little bit, but you're yeah. you're a better commodity if you're controllable. Yes. You're a better community. If you're uncontrollable, because your love and compassion become uncontrollable. Preach. There are now there are exceptions out there. There are a lot of churches doing great work, often smaller ones that no one knows about, but there are a lot of churches out there doing great work. And as you think of your example of the exception that you know of a church like that, please don't miss the paradigm that it's an exception to the business model of commodification. Don't miss the forest for the trees, yes. please, here. Yes. Sell And self-love, here's the deal now. Self-love is at odds with this business model. It's too much freedom for you. you know, even though it's freedom for which Christ set us free. <laughs> but the same reason you're talked out of, shamed out of, your ability to hear the Holy Spirit, even though Jesus said that the Spirit would lead you in all truth. The Spirit is too much of a loose cannon. Can't have the Holy Spirit lead people in ways that might be odds with the pastor or in odds at odds with the paradigm of dependence and commodification. That's right. That's right. Heaven forbid, so to speak. I, I want to put in one more piece that I think will help show why this may be hard to let in. I, we've given you a lot here. But in the movie... And we have more to give next week, and it's, it actually gets amazing, too. It so. takes a different turn that you will not see coming. Okay. In the classic movie, Gaslight... Oh, I love that movie. It's a great movie, and that's where the term gaslighting came from. It's Ingrid Bergman is being gaslighted and made to believe that she's crazy, so her husband can put her in an asylum and take all her money. Like the church is making you feel unloved so it can put you in a pew. And she has a moment in the denouement where she realizes, oh my gosh, you've been doing this to me. She walks up to her husband's office where he's sitting at the desk. She tells him that he's made her feel crazy all these years as she slowly raises the gun to her temple. Sorry, this is going to be a um, spoiler alert, (laughs) but it's worth it. It will not spoil it. She's raising the gun to her temple, still talking about how crazy she feels. But then she says, no. It's not me, it's you. And she slowly turns the gun toward him. I get chills just thinking about that. And tragedy, it's a tragic thing, but here's the beauty of her finding out her truth and attributing it to the true source. She was not the source of her crazy, he was. So 
And I say all this to say that if you, if you have angst, hurt, resignation, don't aim it at yourself. If you're struggling with self-loathing or confusion because you can't understand why everyone gets an oxygen mask but you, everyone gets to eat at the banquet but you, if you feel crazy, don't despair. You were made to feel that way on purpose. Slowly move that accusing finger away from your face and point it at the source of this angst. And that is a worldview, an institution, a system, and the perpetrators of it that is not at all interested in your well-being mm. or your freedom for yeah. whom, for which Christ has set and you that's free. That's just the truth. Yeah. They're interested in their own power, their wealth, their control. We know that from the affirming pastors who won't admit it. Move your finger away from yourself, that self that has been gasping for breath. Unfold, relax, and regain your equilibrium. Breathe life into yourself. Yeah, amen. Well, next time, next episode, we're going to continue this. We're going to talk more about self-love. It is so, so, so important. We're going to go deeper on some real risk to the lack of self-love. Yeah. And how it makes you very, very vulnerable. Yeah. And it and risks something even, you haven't heard. I'm, I'm yeah, pretty sure. Absolutely. It risks even more than the loss of resilience, decreased mental and physical health and well being. There's a lot more at risk. It's, this is going to be powerful. Yep. It's intimate and it's personal. And beloved, you don't want to miss this. Okay. Remember, you are beloved. Love yourself. We will talk to you next time. We love you. Bye. Bye. Would it be okay if I were to tell you? That I am afraid someday So I call you up and you call me down Would it be okay? You've been listening to the Freed Hearts Podcast. We have extensive resources and vibrant community for you at www.freedhearts.org. Just come say hello. And if you have questions or issues or comments about the podcast, things you'd like us to talk about, reach out to us at podcast at freedhearts.org. The music is provided by Hannah Cottrell, our daughter, the Grammy-nominated Saint Sinner. And you can find out more about her at heystsinner.com. Please share this, subscribe, and follow on your favorite platform. And thanks for listening.